0: This is an audio recording of chapter 19 of Summer My German Soldier. As chapter 18 concluded, uh, Patty is at her grandparents' house in Memphis, and Charlene Madley came to visit and was sharing the news that Patty may be charged with um, a lesser charge, not a treason charge, for hiding and harboring an escaped. German POW, but she might be charged with um, a a delinquency charge, a juvenile delinquency charge, and so we are kind of hanging in the balance as chapter 18 ended to see what will happen to Patty. So this is chapter 19, page 197. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go. The music from the car radio turned to static. Too far from Jonesboro to get much reception, said Mr. Calvin Grimes. Guess so. Well, he said, snapping the radio off, reckon that's it. Yes, sir, guess it is, I answered, trying to keep up my end of the conversation. The sky was purpley, deepening even as I watched, warning of the approach of darkness and maybe even of snow. Along the highway, rows of never-been-painted tenant shacks glowed with the softness of kerosene lamps. Their windows, without curtains, gave quick exposures of tenant families, mostly colored, sitting around the supper table. Then, with sudden speed, Mr. Grimes swerved from the right to the left lane to pass a pokey tractor. "'Feller should know enough,' he said, "'to have his lights on this time of day, wouldn't you think?' "'Slow-moving vehicle like that.' "'Yes, sir, he sure should,' I said." As the road turned off to the left, there was a definite rise from the flatness of the Delta lands. Beginning in me was a matching feeling of ascent. Where have you been for such a long time, Hope? Remember the last time you came, paying me a visit? Wait six years, you told me, only six years, and I would have outside beauty, more even than my mother's. While inside, I would grow beautiful like Ruth, and then I would find Anton again, and he would love me for everything I was, everything I had become. Suddenly, a chuckle started up in me, and then a second and a third, without moving my eyes from the side window, I could tell Mr. Grimes had turned to look at me. girl, if you've got yourself a funny, why don't you share it? Uh, no, sir, I don't actually know any jokes or anything like that. It was just that. Well, I was thinking of a friend of mine whom I liked being with so much because he could always make things fun. Know what I mean? Reckon I do. Mr. Grimes measured out his words. Them kind of folks always nice to have around. Not just big things, I explained, because for some reason I really wanted him to understand, but little things, too. Things that lots of folks wouldn't even find amusing. Girl, that's one of the Lord's blessings. Laughter and them that makes it. Like, he gives it to some folks to be strong, others to be rich. Now, to me, he gave a fine wife and four good boys. Them's blessings, girl. Everybody got to find the Lord's bounty and give thanks. You know your blessings? Counted them, laid them aside, said your thanks. I thought of Ruth, grandmother, grandfather. I thought of the frizzle that had finally grown out of my hair. And then I thought of him. And I wondered if a blessing is still a blessing if it lasts for only a little while. Then, with my eyes quite open, Anton's face came through. I closed my eyes to blot out all possible distractions. He was smiling that smile. I'd seen it before when he said to me, Remember, PB. Remember when... But I didn't hear the rest of his words. I was just too filled up with feelings of pleasure and privilege to think that in those short days together we had begun making memories. You getting hungry? Mr. Grimes' dry voice popped my bubble of reverie. There's a restaurant down the road just past Lambert. We could stop there for hamburgers, because I'm not in a million years going to make Bolton until after 10 o'clock. I just don't know whether one of them matrons would save you a bite of supper. Wouldn't bet my last nickel on it, tell you that for sure. In the distance, a large red neon sign blanked. Shanley's Golf Station. Good food, good gas. Even a car length away from Shanley's front door, the smell of things fried, hamburgers, potatoes, and onions was pretty powerful. At the back of the restaurant, a fancy jukebox changed from red to purple to blue as it blared forth. <clears throat> shuffle on down to Memphis Town, Oh, shuffle on down to Memphistown. Ain't got no money, but I'll show you around. I followed Mr. Grimes, to the only empty booth, empty of people but not of their dishes. Ashes and cigarette butts filled the glass ashtray to capacity. Our waitress, who was about sixteen and I, I guess you'd call her pretty, wore beaded Indian moccasins but no stockings over her hairy legs. She dropped a menu wrapped in a cellophane folder on the table and left without bothering to clean up the mess. With the back of his arm, Mr. Grimes swept the dirty dishes to the edge of the table. I like it clean and neat when I eat, he said. Seems like ever since the war, waitresses been going from bad to worse. As he shook his head, I noticed deep lines, which ran like chicken wire, from the corners of his eyes, clean out to his hairline. Mr. Grimes was far away from being young, and judging from the leanness of his body, he'd never been especially strong. After we had eaten our hamburgers and french fries and drunk down our coffee, Mr. Grimes waved to the waitress. What kind of pie you got? She gave her hair, which was the color of brown wrapping paper, a good scratching. We're all out of apple, nodding in the direction of the counter, said, gave that feller the last piece. What kind of you got left? Asked Mr. Grimes, not bothering to keep the irritation out of his voice. "'About the only thing I know we got is some sugar donuts left over from the morning "'and some lemon meringue pie. "'I'll take a piece of that meringue,' he said, and he looked over at me. "'You want a piece, too?' "'Behind the counter, a penciled sign read, "'All pies, 12 cents. "'Well, uh, no thank you. I guess I don't care for any pie today. "'Better get some,' encouraged Mr. Grimes. "'This might be your last decent meal for a while.' "'When I laid my fork down,' The pie plate had only a few pinpoint-sized crumbs left on it. I wanted to send my fork after those two, but didn't want Mr. Grimes to think I was still a little hungry. I felt his eyes upon me, and I looked up. Oh, by the way, he said, I don't think you ought to go mentioning to anybody that we stopped off for a bite of supper, because just strictly speaking, I ain't supposed to stop nowhere with no prisoner. Prisoner? Me? The judge never once used that word. I hereby sentence Patricia Ann Bergen to be committed to the Arkansas Reformatory for Girls at Bolton, Arkansas for a period of not more than six months, nor less than four months. But if Mr. Grimes calls me a prisoner, I guess he ought to know. Funny the word has no sting, but then nothing has much sting anymore. He rubbed his fist back and forth across his chin. So we'll just keep this between you and me, okay? Okay. I didn't want him fearing for his job on my account. Mr. Grimes, it was sure nice of you to stop so I could have something to eat, and I will never say anything to anybody. If I got you in trouble, pow! God should strike me down dead. He smi- His smile showed a vacancy between two front teeth. Lord, girl, I sure don't want nothing like that happening to you. I felt myself smiling. He was really quite nice. The whole thing is... And I thought about it quite a lot. It's not true what they said about me. In court, they called me a person of no loyalties, a traitor. But it just couldn't be true because it was my loyalties that got me into trouble in the first place. Know what I mean? He nodded. I read about it in the papers. How you helped out that German boy? I was grateful he called him a boy, better than the others calling him Nazi or spy. I wanted to help him because he wasn't a Nazi or spy, and he wasn't even mean. Anton was the kindest, smartest man I've ever known. I wanted to tell that to the judge so he'd understand why I had to hide him, why I had to help him stay free. But Mr. Kishner just kept shaking his head no. Mr. Grimes was looking at me as though Anton couldn't be all those things I said he was. Why did I have to go spouting off to him? What made me think he would understand when nobody else could? Don't you think? I asked, hearing the anger in my voice that a German can be good. Oh, I reckon on St. Peter open up them pearly gates for some Germans, he said. Now there ain't no need to go getting your dander up just because I don't understand who's this Mr. Kishner." I'm sorry. He's the man, the lawyer my father hired to tell my side of the story in court. Only thing is... He kept saying that the really important things were not pertinent to the case. Them lawyers are tricky fellers, all right, said Mr. Grimes. One time, oh, this was two or three years ago, I was taking a feller named Cranston Hollis to the Cummins Prison Farm. He waved his empty coffee cup in the air and misbeaded moccasins, filled both of our cups from a steaming pot. Well, Mr. Cranston Hollis, he was one big man. President of a state savings bank in North Little Rock. Only thing was, when the bank examiner came to look at the ledger, he found that Mr. Hollis' bank was shy $185,000, and that ain't even counting the change. I said, that's a lot. Woo-wee, I'll say it is. More money than I'll make in all my working lifetime. Well, this Mr. Hollis, he was one smart man, told me eight people other than him worked in that bank. Six of them had more opportunity than he did to take the money. But his lawyer didn't even entertain the notion that he was defending an innocent man. So Mr. Hollis advised anyone who has to go up before the bar of justice is to beware of at least two people. The lawyer the state hires to convict you, and the lawyer you hire to defend yourself. It was easier for me to agree with poor Mr. Cranston Hollis, now than before my experience with Mr. Kishner, but it wasn't exactly his fault. I mean, actually, he didn't want to take my case in the first place. My father had especially wanted Mr. Kishner because he was known as a really big Memphis lawyer. And I know for a fact how proud the Beth Zion Synagogue is that he is one of them. When my father first phoned him, Mr. Kishner said that it wasn't the kind of thing he wanted to get involved in. And besides, since the case would be tried in the Arkansas courts, it would be much better to hire a local non-Jewish attorney, somebody who knew all the local judges and wouldn't be afraid to speak out. After Mr. Kishner refused to take my case, my father placed another long-distance call to Memphis. This time it was to Morris Frank, president of Beth Zion, who I think my father had met before. Mr. Frank said that he had known Harold Kishner for more than 30 years, And if anybody could get him to take the case, he could. And he did. On the very next day, Mr. Kishner, Mr. Kishner's thin and unsmiling secretary, led me into an office of dark wood, real leather chairs, and an oriental rug of such fire and density that it must have taken a hundred weavers all their lifetimes to complete. A window behind the great man gave a fine view of the Memphis skyline. The lawyer sighed into the receiver, Leo. Why can't you keep in mind that we're treating it as a tax preference item? When he finally placed the receiver on the hook, he nodded at me without smiling. I nodded back while forcing a smile. He got up from his chair. I edged forward in mine. Finally, he said he was my lawyer, hired to be, and then he was going to see if he could help me. He asked me to tell my story just as it happened, and as I did, he scribbled notes on a long yellow pad. Every so often, he would interrupt to ask a question or clarify a point. A couple times, and in slightly different ways, he asked if I was afraid of Anton. Afraid that harm might come to either me or my family if I failed to obey. Mr. Kishner's lips thinned when I shook my head. I was never afraid. Then he tried to get me to say I was too young to understand that Anton was an escaped prisoner. How could I not have understood that? I wanted to tell him that I had some pride left and that they could accuse me of being a traitor, but not of being stupid, but I kept quiet. Finally, Mr. Kishner replaced his fountain pen in his onyx desk set and rose, looking me over closely for the first time, and I knew that he would speak. Young lady, you have embarrassed Jews everywhere. Because your loyalty is questionable, then every Jew's loyalty is in question. He sighed before adding, I just wanted you to know. Outside Shanley's restaurant, the air came up sharp and clean. Cold enough for you? asked Mr. Grimes. Oh, I don't mind, I said. A vision of snow on distant mountaintops came to me, and I was close to asking if there were mountains at Bolton. But fear that he would say there was only flat land kept the question unasked. With the end of Anton, hope had taken to its sickbed, if not its deathbed. I found a small bit of courage within, not enough for mountains, but maybe for a little snow. I decided to squander it. Any chance we might get snow for Christmas? Mr. Grimes looked to the right, then the left, shifted into second, and entered the two-lane highway before speaking. Weatherman on the radio said the Carolinas might get some, but I ain't never heard of snow taking no geography lessons. Back in 38 or 39, 38 it was. "'We got almost an inch of snow for Christmas.' "'I'd like that to happen again,' I said as I brought my shoeless feet up beside me on the car seat. "'My head found a resting place in the bow of my arm. "'I felt myself going down, down to sleep. "'Against my arm, tapping. "'Wake up, girl. We're almost there.' "'What?' I shifted my yawn inside the crook of my elbow. "'We're coming into Bolton. Thought you'd like to see it. The school's east of town. "'Oh.' I said, conscious of feeling nothing but sleepy. Then, spanning the width of the street, strings of Christmas lights, red and blue, green and yellow, a lighted movie marquee announced the five Sullivans in Christmas cartoons. I saw that movie, I said, coming alive, all about five brothers, sailors on this ship that was sunk. Saddest thing I've ever seen. Try to see that movie if you get the chance. Nope answered Mr. Grimes, "'Don't have to spend my money for sadness. "'Plenty of that to be had for free.'" Mr. Grimes followed the road through town, past two blocks of houses, a gas station, and then open land. Headlights picked up a black iron fence, and as the car swung through open gates, I saw a sign with the Arkansas State Seal. It read, "'The Jasper E. Conrad, Arkansas Reformatory for Girls.'" Bolton, Arkansas. The lights were on in the three-story building in the darkness. It looked no different from any other three-story brick. No, there was something different. The windows were covered, all covered with diamond-shaped heavy wire screening. At the Memphis Zoo, they used the same kind of screening for the animals. And so you um, find out that uh, Patty has been sentenced to a reformatory for girls in bolton arkansas so she did get a lesser charge uh, of delinquency but she still has to do some time at a reformatory and mr Uh, grimes the character talked about in this chapter who drives her to the reformatory he is a minor character but he is uh, probably like a parole officer assigned to Escort her to the reformatory school. And so that concludes chapter 19. And Patty will spend some time in the reformatory school for girls. This is a recording of Summer My German Soldier, chapters 20 and 21. So, this is the conclusion of Betty Green's novel. As chapter 19 concluded, Patty had been transported to the Jasper E. Conrad Reformatory for Girls in Bolton, Arkansas. So, she has been sentenced to um, several months. I don't believe that she has to be there um, more than a year, but it might be close to that. Um, So she was charged um, as a juvenile. Probably is fortunate that she is only serving time in a reformatory for girls. Um, But as she reached the front of the Jasprey-Conrad Reformatory, she made note of the windows that were covered with diamond-shaped heavy wire screening that reminded her of the Memphis Zoo. So that's kind of um, a metaphor for her feeling like she's about to experience what Anton experienced, being a prisoner and feeling trapped. Chapter 20, page 208, My Eyes Opened I measured the bleakness of the morning against the painted grayness of the walls and estimated the time to be 6.30. Ever since I had been here and today marked the 32nd morning, there had been this new ability of mine to awaken, fully awake, without stretching or yawning. Part of it was knowing that this 30 minutes before the wake-up bell was the only time that belonged to me. "'All right, get to it,' I told myself. "'This is finally going to be the morning when things come to me, "'my plans for a lifetime. "'I gave myself the usual instructions. "'Try new roads, check out all byways, explore every possibility.' "'But my mind hadn't even finished its pep talk "'when the familiar vision intruded. "'Go away,' I said out loud. "'I have to be practical. "'I couldn't risk everything on such, of a, on such a slim hope.' it didn't make sense. Think practical. Think about living in Memphis with grandmother and grandfather. My father wouldn't hear of it. Didn't he tell the FBI that they had no right to take me to grandma's that evening after they had finished questioning me? Then think about going away to school to some private place in New England where nobody would know me. My mother wouldn't let me. Even before the scandal, I clipped an ad from the back pages of the ladies' home journal showing a girl about my age smiling at her horse, and underneath the picture it read, Briarcliff, an experience in living. My mother only glanced at the ad before starting to laugh. Where do you dream up such ideas? she demanded. Are you such a fancy girl? You need such a fancy school? No possibility there, none at all. Well, I've heard about people working their way through school. There are things I can do. I could take care of the horses. I'd love that. But even if that job were filled, there are other things. Cooks need helpers. Or maybe I could use the work experience that I'm getting here. As I brought my hands from beneath the blanket, bleach attacked my nostrils. That smell may have been part of my imagination, but my red chapped hands weren't. No, I don't want to work in anybody's laundry anywhere anymore. The vision was still there, waiting for me, soft and appealing. I let it in. It's six years from now. I'm 18. The war is over. With my thousand dollar war bond, I have money enough to take a train to New York. And from there, a ship to Germany. Another train ride, and I'm in Göttingen. At the train station, I change into my prettiest dress before dialing the number. No, not at the station. Better at a hotel. A woman answers, and I ask, Mrs. Riker? This is Mrs. Riker, says the voice in elegant English. Mrs. Riker, I say slowly, I'm an American. My name is Patricia Bergen. I knew your son, Anton. There's only silence, so I stumble on. We were friends back when he was a prisoner of war in America. "'You knew Anton?' She asks, her voice hollow, like it was traveling over great distance or great sorrow. I breathe in deeply before answering. "'Yes, I knew Anton. We were friends. I tried to help him.' "'You tried to help him?' "'Where are you?' asks Mrs. Riker, sounding suddenly energized. I tell her that I'm right here in Göttingen, and she asks, "'Could you possibly have dinner with us tonight?' And, of course, any traveling companions you have would be most welcome. Well, I don't actually have any traveling companions, I say. Then you must stay with us, she replies. We have a large house we could make you most comfortable. My heart floated up like a helium balloon until the ringing of the wake-up bell punctured it. I cried out against the intrusion, wondering if there weren't some way to hold on to the vision. It seemed unfair. I had lost my chance to become a member of the family. Hey, Knots, you gonna get up? Scrambled egg day. I pulled the covers down to look directly into the raggedy eyes of my roommate, Mavis McCall. I'm getting up, I said, wiggling my feet to give the impression of forward movement. Could you please stop calling me Knots? Geez, what do you want me to call you, Nazi or spy like the mothers do? Mavis managed to look as though I had just spit upon her grandmother's grave. Well, if it's all the same to you, you could call me Patty, or even the name I was born with, Patricia. Mavis looked a long way from being convinced, so I added, I don't call you Thief, do I? In the cafeteria line, Mavis stood in front of me as rigidly silent as the angel on the topmost point of the room's Christmas tree. "'Don't they know that Christmas trees are supposed to be taken down as soon as Christmas is over?' I asked. "'Can't go about taking a Christmas tree down on a Sunday,' she said, sounding shocked at my ignorance. "'Wouldn't be right.' "'I was grateful that she was still talking to me. "'No, guess not,' I answered. "'As Mavis wiped the last crumbs from her plate with a piece of white bread, I saw her eyes check my plate.' "'I haven't touched my eggs,' I said, pushing my plate towards her "'and wondering why the eggs didn't taste as powdery to her as they did to me. "'Mavis scraped them onto her plate, "'then paused with her fork directly over my mound of grits. "'Her eyes sought my permission. "'I'm all finished eating,' I said. "'You ain't much of an eater, is you?' she said, "'and then added in lieu of thanks, Patty. "'After breakfast,' The day room, with its hard backed chairs lined like soldiers against the wall, was empty. The girls had all gone over to the non denominational services in the chapel. On my first Sunday here, I had gone because the head matron, Miss Loud, secretly called Miss Bald due to the fact that pink skin was beginning to show through her hair, kept emphasize- <clears throat> emphasizing that the services were absolutely non-denominational. Now, maybe, and I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, the services are non-denominational for Baptists, Methodists, and Jehovah Witnesses, but they are definitely not non-denominational for a Jewish girl. I say this because the minister spent just about his whole sermon talking about the method the Jews used when they killed Jesus. The clock high above the doorway of the day room read 10 till 10, yet the grayness of the morning hung on. On the side table sat the room's most valuable item, a mahogany radio with an arched top. Usually it was a blare with sad-sounding cowboys singing of girls they had loved and lost, but for the time being it sat quietly neglected. I snapped the knob to the right and waited for the tubes to warm. I tried to find something good to listen to on a Sunday morning. Phil Baker in his $64 question wasn't till evening, and so was Baby Snooks. Even Andre Castellanitz and his orchestra wasn't till later. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that... I moved the dial, this time to singing. Where he leads me, I shall follow. And another turn of the dial. Tell me why it is, dear friends. Cried out a man's voice in apparent anguish, that people will believe the promise of a bank. Give us your money, we'll keep it safe. And they'll believe the promise of a boss. Work for me, and I'll give you money. Then why is it that these same people have trouble believing in the greatest promise ever given to mankind? Jesus made that promise to you, and he made it to me, and this was his promise Whosoever believeth in me shall be given life everlasting. I snapped the the knob to the left, and except for the steady hissing of the radiator, the room was silent. Back in my room, the thick Sunday edition of the Memphis Commercial Appeal, a gift subscription from Charlene Madley lay on my bed. It was nice having a lady like that for a friend, and I liked having my very own newspaper subscription. I mean, besides reading it, it was nice in another way, too. It was the something good instead of always something bad that set me apart. I wasn't like them. Like the others in the paper was proof of that. After my trial, Charlene Madley was the only reporter in the courtroom was filled with them who came over to say she was sorry, and she was too. I caught a look on her face of genuine distress. On my second day at Bolton, I received her first note. I read it so many times that it became engraved on my brain. Patty, I'm sending you a subscription to my paper with the hope that you will enjoy reading it. Keep smiling, Charlene Madley. And in each reading of Charlene's note, I scoured her words for the gift of friendship. Sometimes, like an optical illusion, I found it, and other times I didn't. Anyway, I wrote Charlene back thanking her and saying the thing I liked most to read were the stories that carried her byline. That wasn't hard to say. People like honest compliments. I know that. It was what I said next that made me hesitate because it sounded presumptuous. I still think I'd like to study to become some kind of reporter or writer someday. But she didn't think I was just a presumptuous kid because she wrote me right back a whole page. Footsteps. Determined footsteps came echoing down the corridor. Miss Loud? What would she want me for? I'm not breaking any rules, no cigarettes, no shoes on the bed, door open. About the non-denominational services? But I've already explained that, how the services go against my beliefs. I won't go. As the footsteps stopped at my door, fear took hold. I forced myself to look up at the full standing authority of Miss Evelyn Loud. Loud. "'You know a negro named Ruth Hughes?' "'Ma'am?' "'A negra named Ruth Hughes says she's your nanny. Is "'That right?' "'Uh, yes, ma'am, that's right,' Miss Loud nodded. "'Well, go on down to the visitor's room and see her.' "'Ma'am?' I asked like one who has suddenly stopped understanding the English language. "'Well, go down and see her,' repeated Miss Loud in tones loud enough for the deaf. Through the open archway of the visitor's room, I could see Ruth.' Her back towards me, looking out the mesh covered window to the courtyard below. She was wearing a dress I had never seen before deep blue, like the sky gets toward evening. It looked to be crepe, and good enough not only for Sunday but for Easter Sunday as well. Strange, she didn't seem to hear my approach, for her gaze never strayed from the window. Ruth? Like a spring suddenly released. She turned, her brown face showing a wide, welcoming smile, but it wasn't the smile that caught me quite as much as her eyes. They had the shine, a gloss that I remembered seeing once before, but I couldn't quite remember when. Arms circled me, bringing me close. Patty, honey, babe, how you doing? A fragrance of bath powder scented gardenia. You doing all right, honey? My head found its resting place next to her shoulder, and I closed my eyes while I silently prayed for the world to go away. Are they treating you all right here? I nodded my head yes, but I didn't know for sure whether she got my message. So I said, I guess they are, yes. And there, in the protection of her circle, I felt freshly born. Ruth, still with an arm around my waist, led me to a wooden bench next to the radiator, but before we sat down, she pushed me at arm's length away and gave me a careful looking over. You sure ain't doing no overeating hereabouts, are you? On Sundays, we have scrambled eggs for breakfast. I said, wondering if my answer fit the question. There's six other days need accountin' for. Well, mostly they serve grits for breakfast. Ruth looked angry. You never would eat no grits. "'I eat them sometimes,' I said, "'feeling that we should somehow be spending this time together on better things. "'Tell me something. What's new in Jenkinsville?' "'Same old town it's always been, honey. "'When the Bible says that there ain't nothing new under the sun, "'I think they must have had Jenkinsville in mind.' Ruth laughed, enjoying her own joke. When her face resettled, she added, "'Tell you this, I got myself a new job. "'Keeps house for the colored school teacher, Ms. Cormay Ford. "'You knows her?' I said that I did, while the feeling of betrayal swept over me. Ruth went on, she and her husband, Robert, he's got himself a good job, too, drives one of them trucks for Dixie Transport. Well, they got themselves three of the cutest children. Now the baby, Michael Augustus, ain't even walking yet, and I declare if he ain't about the sweetest little thing I ever did see. I told myself to forget it. Ruth didn't just up and desert me. Remember that. She was fired. Fired! She has to make a living, get along as best as she can. And if she didn't care for me, would she have made this long trip just to see me? How did you ever manage to get here, Ruth? Her eyes grew wide and the gloss disappeared. Must have had something to do with how the light from the window struck her eyes. Would you ever think that your old Ruth would come a-visiting in a big vehicle driven by a chauffeur? Really? You're kidding me. She put a look of mock disgust on her face. Well, if in a Greyhound bus ain't a big vehicle, and if in a uniformed driver ain't a chauffeur, then I don't know much of nothing no more. I felt the muscles about my mouth tugging upward into an unnatural or at least seldom-used position. I'm really glad you came to see me. Must have been a long trip. "'No,' said Ruth. "'Wasn't too long, "'cause I got to see me places I ain't never seen before. "'Heard about, but never seen. "'Places like Win City, Jonesboro, Bolton, places like that.' She suddenly jumped up and rushed across the room to a red-white and white striped shopping bag. Reaching low into the bag, she brought out a box whose lettering was clearly readable through the white tissue paper wrappings. "'Ginger snaps. Thanks.' "'You know they're my very favorites.' "'I gave Ruth a quick hug. "'I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you this year, "'but I didn't get to do any Christmas shopping. "'Now that don't make no never mind, Patty, babe, "'cause come next Christmas, "'I'm gonna give you a list more than six feet long. "'But right now I got you a little something else.' "'She reached into her shopping bag "'to bring out a yellow shoebox tied with red paper ribbon. "'I broke the string to find a whole family.' a fried chicken breast, each one sitting on its very own pink paper napkin. Nothing there with the breast, she said, see Ruth remembers. And I saw too that Ruth had remembered her own rule about the proper frying of chicken. Secret is, she used to say to fry it, fry it done in cornmeal. And while the chicken fried, there was something else she always did. She'd break an egg or two into a bowl of cornmeal, throw in a chopped up onion, and then she dropped spoonfuls of the batter into the pan next to the chicken. Hush puppies. I don't think I ever in my life had fried chicken without them. I pinched off a crispy piece of skin and placed it on my tongue. I haven't had anything this good since I've been here. Miss Bergen, she been up visiting you? Ruth's question sounded vaguely disloyal, maybe because any true answer would be pointedly disloyal. She's got a bad back, says long trips make it worse. Have you seen her, any of them? Her face brightened. In the Save More Market a couple Fridays ago, I heard this little voice a-callin', "'Ruth, Ruth!' When I turns around, sweet little Sharon comes a rush into my arms. "'Ruth,' she says to me, "'where you been so long?' She shook her head like she was still short in answer, "'Poor little thing,' and her all the time asking, "'Where you been so long?' "'You saw my mother, too?' "'I surely did. "'She was nice to me, too. "'Said she was glad to see I was getting on all right. "'I remember as more than 15 years ago "'when your folks moved to Jenkinsville to open this door. "'Folks, white and colored,' said Miss Bergen "'was the best-looking woman to ever come to town. "'I reckon she still is.' "'She say anything, Ruth? "'I mean, did she mention me at all?' "'Ruth looked surprised. "'Why, sure she did, honey. "'You're her daughter, ain't you?' "'What did she say?' "'Why?' she said about what any other mother would say. "'I waited to see if Ruth was going to add anything more, "'cause vagueness wasn't exactly her natural state. "'I watched while she looked down "'and began adjusting the gold band on her left hand. "'Ruth, I would very much appreciate "'your telling me the truth. "'The whole truth, please. "'Patty, honey, I ain't never lied to you, "'and I ain't going to start lying now, "'but the truth be known.' Miss Bergen didn't say too much, but I'll tell you everything I recollect. Well, let's see now. She said, warming up, told me she gets letters from you and how you always say you're getting along fine. I nodded yes. She told me how she had just sent off a sweater to you through the mails. It's the one I'm wearing. Ruth looked at the sweater, and I hoped that I hadn't distracted her. Then she gave me a look like she had turned a little shy. And Miss Bergen said... Ruth gave her wedding band a full turn. She said, I was the only one who knows how to handle you. Anger blazed within me. That's all they ever think about handling me, controlling me. Why can't they just let me be? I watched Ruth shake her head like she didn't quite know what to say anymore, but I felt like I just had to ask her the question I was always asking myself Ruth, I want you to tell me something. You know me. "'Better than anybody else. "'What's really wrong with me?' "'Oh, honey, babe.' "'Ruth shook her head like she was trying to shake my words from her ears. "'There ain't nothing wrong with you. "'Nothing a few years and a few pounds won't take care of. "'There's gotta be.' "'My voice was high enough for scaling mountains. "'There's just gotta be something, "'or I wouldn't always be getting into trouble having people hate me. "'When you get older,' You're going to see that sometimes it looks like most of the good folks done gone and acquired most of the troubles. Yes, siree. Even the Lord Jesus could have avoided getting himself crucified if he could have learned to stay out of trouble. It sounded as though Ruth was pretty close to blasphemy, and I searched her face for a secret sign made only to God that she was just kidding. She gave me a squeeze. Sometimes I sure wish you knew how to go pussyfooting around your pa and your ma. But then I says to myself, if Patty learned pussyfooting, then it wouldn't hardly be Patty no more. Even if you don't know, for 100% positive sure, I encourage, there must be things that you suspect about me. And if I knew, I'd begin working on ridding myself of them. Only first I got to be sure what's wrong. Don't ask me to tell you something I don't know ain't nothing bad about you and that's the god's truth i have cared for Chillin white and i've cared for Chillin black i've loved every single one of them but nary a one as much as you patty babe nary a single one you couldn't love me as much as you do sharon don't you go telling me what i couldn't do because i knows what i knows from that first day i walked into your house i loved you the most and i loves you the most today it's so hard to believe why I ain't even the only one he loved you Anton did with my own eyes I saw that man come rushing out of his hiding place to save you and I saw his face and I ain't never gonna forget what was written there cuz it said I'd give my own life to save her maybe that's true he gave me his ring so I'd never forget that he loved me and that I was a person of value. Only thing is, I lost the ring. Then gradually, I guess I lost its meaning. Ruth snapped open her pocketbook. Honey babe, you didn't lose your ring? I heard you tell that to the man from the FBI, and you must have told that story so many times you come to believe it. She held up the ring. You gave me this for safekeeping when I told you your pa was coming home to see you, remember? I brought his ring to my lips, barely believing it. He did love me, I said to Ruth. Maybe one day my mother and father will too. Ruth's eyes came level with mine, and I could feel her resources rushing toward rushing forward like frontline soldiers to battle. I ain't never for cast me no spursions on other folks, folks, she said slowly. But your folks Ain't never going to feel nothing good regarding you. They ain't the number one best quality folks neither. They sure ain't. When I go shopping and I see the label stamped irregular or seconds, then I know I won't have to pay so much for it. But you've got yourself some irregular second folks, and you've been paying more than top dollar for them. So just don't go a-wishing for what ain't never going to be but I always thought it was me, because I was bad. You ain't bad. I kissed my ring again, and then gave Ruth the strongest squeeze I could manage. Nothing has changed, but I feel different. Good, like a good person. And that was what all the whisperin' was about. What whisperin' you talking about? Every so often, there's this whisperin' going on inside me. And whisperin's always so soft, I could never make it out before. "'Was it God speaking to you?' asked Ruth, her eyes wide. "'I never thought about it being God. "'What would God be wasting his time with a twelve-year-old for?' "'I don't think I said that God would whisper, do you?' Ruth pressed her lips together. "'The ways of the Lord are filled with wonder and mystery.' "'Well, just the same. It didn't sound like God. "'I think, actually, it was truth. Truth.' Growing inside like a baby. And for a long time, it was just too little, too weak to say anything. But day by day, it gained strength. And to what use is you going to put this truth? Well, maybe. I don't know right at this moment, but I do know that in spite of everything I did and everything people say about me, I don't feel bad. Not anymore. I'm not bad. Right now, that seems important. Ruth drew me to her, and I could tell that she understood, too. Chapter 21 Together we watched an icy rain make slapping sounds against the window. After a while, Ruth said something something about her galoshes, which I didn't quite hear, probably because I had become too deeply encased in, in comfort. With my eyes closed, feeling the warmth of Ruth against me, I could believe in so many things. Ruth had never been fired. I had never been found out. And Anton had never been killed. He was waiting for me now, alive in the hideout. And when night came, we'd go away. Morocco or Mexico, somewhere, anywhere, together. And I was halfway out the door when I said to myself, Ain't no guarantees about no weather, so I went right back and got him. Good idea, I said. I'm glad you remembered. We fell into quiet again, and it was comfortable. Then Ruth began humming, and soon she found the words, "'Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Glory, hallelujah!' "'I don't want to go home again,' I said with a suddenness that surprised even me. "'Well, you ain't got nowhere else for going. You's too old for doptin' and too young for marrying.' Even so, she looked me full in the face. Even so, what? What you planning on doing, girl? I ain't not planning on anything, so I can't think of anything to plan on. I just don't want to look back. If they didn't like me before all this happened, they're sure not going to love me now. So what I was thinking was, I might get a job, go somewhere. So you thought you'd up and run away and find yourself a job. That what you thought, girl? I recognized her. I ain't going to listen to none of your nonsense voice. Well, now I'm right glad you told me, because old Ruth can tell you something. I clean, keeps a clean house. minds a chillin', cooks the evening supper. And for doing all these things, it takes me six work days to earn $7.50. Now, how many of those things can you do? And how much you reckon you'd be earning for doing them? There are other jobs. There's plenty more jobs. They got judges, doctors, sheriffs, which one you qualified for, girl. There has to be something. There is something. Now, you listen hard. Because Ruth is going to tell you, just like I would tell my own child, which you is. You is going back home and finishing up with your high school education. Never you mind what folks say. Most folks don't know what they is saying no how then you tells your daddy that you wants to go away to college to be something. And you be something. Teacher or nurse. Don't matter what you takes a notion to be in as long as it's something. I know the something I'd like to be, I said, pausing, just long enough to build interest every porter. I already have my first assignment and my nom de plume, too. Your what? Nom de plume. Pen name. What do you think of Antonia Alexander? "'Antonio Alexander,' repeated Ruth "'like she was tasting the words mighty fancy. "'I was pleased that its elegance hadn't escaped her. "'I got the Antonia from Anton, "'and I picked Alexander because of the alliteration, "'both names starting with the same letter. "'What is you fixing to write? "'An article about the conditions "'at the Bolton Reformatory "'for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. "'I checked Ruth's face,' see if she was as impressed as I was. Charlene Madley said if it was good they'd run the story in their Arkansas edition. I's glad honey babe you sure is gonna be something. Ruth gave a sigh filled with pride for my future accomplishments and then you won't have to go home ever again less than you want to. I guess sometime we'll have to come home again to see you. "'I heard the footsteps first, then the rattling of keys. "'Miss Loud appeared in the archway. "'Visiting time's over. Separate and leave immediately. "'Not yet, Miss Loud. Please. Ruth just got here. "'She has been here for 30 minutes. Her time is up. Leave immediately.' "'I knew I was going to beg. "'Miss Loud, please. She came so far. "'She's the only visitor I've had since I've been here. "'And she's the only one I'm going to get. I know.' The crack sounded in my voice. Miss Loud, if you'd kindly be so kind. Ruth knew what to say. She'd listen to Ruth as to give us a few more minutes to say our last minute things. That'd help make the parting less hurtful. Miss Loud's eyes jumped, all the time jumping from Ruth to me and back again. Something about them I saw for the first time. There was the palest circle of blue surrounding pupils the size of points on an ice pick. Miss Loud raised a trembling finger and pointed it toward me. That's why you're in trouble. Not happy getting what others got, are you? She shook her head. Trouble is you're a greedy, spoiled girl. Don't like anything we try to give you, do you? Don't like our religion. Don't like our laundry. And you don't think our food's worth eating. You told that to one of the girls, didn't you? Tell the truth. She waited for me to answer her charges, but the only answer I gave was a direct stare. She wet her lips with her tongue. "'Truth is, you only like Negroes and Nazis!' "'Miss Loud!' said Ruth, in as loud a voice as I'd ever heard her use. "'Leave the child alone! I's going now! See me going?' I threw my arms around Ruth's neck. "'Take me with you! Find a way to take me with you! "'Shush, honey babe, shush now!' Don't leave me here, Ruth. Please, please don't leave me alone. Honey, babe, you know better than to ask Ruth to do what she just ain't got the power to do. Ruth patted my cheeks as she wiped away the wetness. Everything gonna be all right, she whispered one fine day. You is gonna wake up and your heart gonna rise up singing everything gonna be all right. Wallace, shouted Miss Loud. Wallace, Rogers, here, come here. I hung on to Ruth with all my might. She was my life raft, and without her, the icy waters were waiting to pull me under. Footsteps raced across linoleum. As Matron Wallace and Matron Rogers came through the archway, Ruth raised her hand as though she were stopping traffic. You leave this child be! Now I'm telling you, just leave this child be! The traffic stopped short. The matrons looked as though their very breath had been sucked out of them. Just seems like, said Ruth under her breath, yet loud enough for hearing. Some white folks ain't never learned how to be decent. With her arm around my waist and her strength supporting my weakness, she led me through the archway and into the center hall. Go on back to your room, Patty, babe, she whispered. Go on back. Three matrons had followed us at a respectful distance, but Miss Loud's distance was the most respectable of all. Suddenly, Ruth whirled on her. Miss Loud, the red shopping bag in the waiting room. Patty's Christmas. Would you fetch it, please? The head matron looked confused. She turned to matron Wallace. Well, get it, Wallace. Don't just stand there. Go get the bag. Then Miss Loud started up the flight of stairs, followed closely by Miss Rogers. As soon as Miss Wallace dropped the bag at Ruth's feet, she took the stairs, two at a time, and it was just Ruth and me. "'I reckon they is going to give us our goodbye time after all,' said Ruth. I tried to sound all put back together. "'Well, Ruth, I sure do appreciate your visit.' She gave me some gentle pats on the back. "'And you be strong, and don't let them folks get you down, "'cause better times are coming for you. I feels it in my bones.' Do you really, you really and truly think so? I sure enough do. Yet Ruth's face was filled with the deepest kind of sadness. And for you, Ruth, are better times coming for you, too? Mostly things don't get no better for old-colored ladies. Oh, but I want them to be. I want everything to be good for you. Everything. She turned her head. Goodbye, honey babe. She released her hold on me, and where her arms had been, turned cold. I felt as though something inside me were being torn away. I watched her walk with careful steps back to the bench where she had left her belongings, and watching her, she seemed older and more fragile than I had remembered. Suddenly, I had to give her something something like the world. I quickly indexed the valuables from my upstairs room, the blue Schaefer pen and pencil set, a birthday present for my grandparents, a collection of the short stories of Guy de Maupassant, Webster's, Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Nothing there for Ruth. She moved slowly towards the door, buttoning her gray coat. I don't have anything to give you, I said. I have nothing at all to give you. You got love to give, honey babe. Ain't nothing better than that. Just the same, I wish I could say, how about taking back some of the chicken breast eat on the bus? She clicked open her simulated alligator pocketbook, giving me a view of the inside. I got me a tuna fish sandwich and a hard-boiled egg, and I reckon that's plenty for me. Thank you kindly. Then Ruth reached out, patted my cheek, and with aging steps, moved towards the door. I watched her. It was like watching my very own life raft floating away towards the open sea and yet somewhere in my mind's eye I thought I could see the faintest outline of land then it came to me that maybe that's the only thing life rafts are supposed to do taking the shipwrecked not exactly to the land but only in view of land the final mile being theirs alone to swim As Ruth pulled open the heavy front door, my heart felt as though it was spilling over with so many things I wanted to say, but I didn't have the words for a single one of them. For a moment, I thought I was about to call out goodbye, but I didn't. The door closed, and the moment and Ruth were gone. For moments or minutes, I stood there, not really moving, barely managing to tread water. Was it possible for a beginning swimmer to actually make it to shore? It might take me my whole lifetime to find out.